0: The following is a presentation of Hawkeyes Mike LLC
1: Vandenberg, end zone, touchdown! Craiger Cobo was wide open. Only the sixth touchdown pass all season for Iowa against the number one passing defense in the nation in Michigan 16 yards And Vandenberg seven of eight so far.
0: When you have a running game with Mark Weissman. All of a sudden, it's amazing how good your passing game becomes, and play action with the kinds of tight ends that Iowa has, and an accurate quarterback And James Vandenberg can be deadly. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have the second of our two weekly Reporter's Notebook segments in this podcast, this one featuring Steve Batterson, who looks ahead at the Hawks' season finale against Nebraska in Kinnick Stadium. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Nebraska's Bo Pellini. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Marv Cook and Brent Balbinat, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other reporters' notebook podcast this week with Susan Dank. The Iowa-Michigan game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with announcers Dave Pash and Brian Greasy. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz was asked what comes to mind when he thinks Nebraska football.
1: You know, it's different stages for me. My first game as an assistant here was back uh, when when they had a cranking pretty good in the late 70s, early 80s, and that was certainly one period. Then when I got here in 99, uh, they were ranked in the top five, I think not remember if they were second, third, first, whatever, but they were ranked pretty high. You know, I had it going obviously very well. Uh, then in the middle portion of uh, the last uh, decade, you know, they, they uh, slipped a little bit, but they're they're back playing kind of the way you remember them. Uh, they always were good on defense. Uh, I don't know how much was talked about back in the glory days. You know, the way they played defensively, I think I think a lot. You know, the black shirts and all that stuff. So they're playing really well on defense. And you know, I don't know if it was by design. I assume it was, but uh, offensively, some similarities to what we saw back in '99 and 2000, and certainly back in the '80s with a uh, really out athletic quarterback that uh, who's developed into a good passer and uh, you know one thing I I was remiss in saying you know they've done uh, an excellent job minus one of their best football players Burkhead's a a tremendous football player and he's really played on a limited basis so uh, that makes it that much more impressive what they've accomplished thus far.
0: Kirk talks about Big Ten expansion and whether coaches are kept pretty much in the dark about those activities.
1: You know I don't know about completely in the dark. Uh, Commissioner's always been really good about sharing what he can share. You know when I worked in Cleveland uh, my, my boss said that really well one time he says you know it's it's uh there, there are things that he can't share with us he also said uh, in addition that there are some things you know you're probably better off not being in, informed on or included in and I would throw this in that category probably you know if, if I would say you know I think when um I'm looking backwards now you know when they when they felt like uh especially uh, Commissioner Delaney felt like you know it was important to ask get some feedback you know he, he does a great job of that but you, know, you can't check with everybody about everything and, and I you know I, w- I wouldn't be able to have much of that conversation I don't know how many coaches would so you know this is is kind of like a big thing, a little bigger picture deal. But like I said, he's he's done a great job, I think, of providing our, our conference with great leadership.
0: Kirk was asked about the value of a win at this point in the season versus the perspective of playing some of the younger players to get them valuable game experience for next season.
1: Yeah, I don't know whose perspective that would be, but uh, you know, from the day we got here, our, our idea was to try to play the best we could in every football game, and that's that's, that's really uh, all that's motivated us through, you know, this will be the end of 14 years. So, you, you know, I, th- I think a fair to the entire football team and everybody that's uh, involved in sports you know you just you try to compete and play your absolute best each and every week and you know maybe in the NFL it's a discussion when have a bid locked up and all that but I'll go back to when the Giants played the Patriots whatever year that was 07 I think and Giants played their best guys and they won the game and you know to me that's what sports are about you 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 do your best to win every football game and play your best and uh, if it it means a senior playing or a true freshman you know it really doesn't matter Whoever is best suited to help help the team win that's that's kind of I think got to be your guiding line regardless of the circumstances
0: parents was asked about his degree of confidence that there are better years ahead for Iowa football.
1: You know, I believe that 14 years ago. And, uh, you know, pick pick any of our uh, best years uh, if you want to do that. And, you know, I could probably list 10 things that we could have done better that year, too. So it's uh, yeah, just a quick snapshot memory, not looking back too far. But I remember watching the Minnesota game, which felt really good in 2 uh, I mean, it really felt good. It was great to be there and part of that. Uh, and it felt good all the way home. But, you know, when I watched the tape, you know, it just it was amazing how many things... There were that we could have done better in that game. So it's that's the nature of sports.
0: And I asked Kirk to characterize the talent level of his team, especially when compared to other Big Ten programs.
1: You yeah, we're, we're four and seven uh, right now, and that's you know that's what we are. So be it talent, coaching, performance, whatever. It's a lot of things that go into to results. And uh, you know, I'd probably suggest I just read an article this morning that uh, it was like you know mountain and Molehill And you know, typically uh, it's never quite as bad as you think, never quite as good as you think. So, you know, again, that, that's for another day. But, uh you know, right now our focus is on playing against a team that is very talented. You could argue maybe as talented as anybody in our conference. You could argue as well-coached as anybody and certainly been more productive than anybody in the conference right now. So, outside of, I guess, uh, there's another team that's not defeated. But the point is these guys are really playing on a high level go They're very talented, very well-coached, and that's that's our challenge right now is to get ready for them. <laughs>
0: Next, we hear from Nebraska head coach Bo Pelini, who was asked about the improvement of his defense during the course of the season and his team's resiliency overall. Hard work,
2: you know, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't come. You just by going out there every day and practicing hard and working to get better on a day-in, day-out basis, that's, you know, the key to anything. It doesn't come easy, it just comes from staying the course and, and uh, working at it. You know, we talked in the off-season about really doing a lot of things to try and build mental toughness, and with mental toughness comes resiliency and a belief in team and a belief in each other, and, and uh, we've had to overcome some things, and uh, I think we've done a good job at that, and, you know, we're not there. You know, we're, we're still, you know, working to get there and hopefully put ourselves in a position uh, to compete for a championship, and that's been, that was our goal all along, and, you know, we've stayed the course and fought through adversity and uh, won some tough games, and that that's going to have to continue this Saturday because we know going to Iowa City is not an easy place to go in and win.
0: Polini talks about his team's preparation in a short week, especially given what's at stake for his team in this game.
2: You know, we've been through this before. We we were, we were had some short weeks, obviously, when I was uh, in the Big 12 when we would play the game against Colorado. Last year, we played on a short week. We've had experience at it. We I think we have a pretty good recipe, but at the end of the day, it requires a little bit extra film time. It's more of a mental week, and you, you got to be careful beating your guys down physically and, and uh so you you know, it's uh, you got a give and take a little bit. Traveling on Thanksgiving Day and we'll have uh, we'll have a Thanksgiving dinner for the team the night before and, and uh kind of business as usual on Thanksgiving. Fortunately there aren't a lot of holidays in uh, in call in sports. <laughs> not when you're playing uh, the day after our guys understand what's at stake and and uh that doesn't change our approach uh, you know or uh, or anything else you go out there and do the best you possibly can that play the best football you can against a good football team.
0: Polini talks about Nebraska's transition into Big Ten play and its success in year two.
2: Well, it's a good conference and uh, you know, we have a lot of respect for all the teams that we've played and you know, you learn a lot more. I mean, uh, you learn a lot in in year two that you probably didn't know going in year one. You know, we get some experience in the conference and going through it one time. And um, It takes a few years to to, you know get up to speed with what you're seeing week to week, the type of teams you're going to play it's one thing seeing them on film another it's a whole other thing when you play against them and, you know we we've, we've had a lot of transition in our program over the last few years and i think our guys you know leaving a conference joining another conference all the things that go into that and i think our guys have handled it well at the end of the day we just concentrate on getting better as a football team and hopefully putting ourselves in position to win enough football games to put yourself in position to be in a, a championship game
0: and Polini provides his overview of a struggling Iowa team.
2: Well, you know, I think they uh, obviously, like a lot of people, the, this uh, this time of year they've been hit hit with some injuries. And uh, you know, what I can say is, you always look at a Kirk Ferentz coach football team. You know, they're going to be very well coached, very physical football team. You know, they you know not real fancy, but a, a group that is plays fundamentally sound. Like I said, well coached and play very hard and play with passion. And that, that's that's what they do. Do, and that's what, you know, Coach Ferentz is, you know, he's kind of like the dean of coaches in, the, in this conference, and you know, he, he's had a lot of success over a lot of years, That a lot of us, maybe younger guys to, to boot would be, uh, you know, we only hope to have, you know, like we're, well, we're at that point, you know, we've been in as long as he has, and, and you don't do that by not having very well coached football teams, and, and teams that play the right way, and the one thing you know about an Iowa coach football team is they're, they're going to play the right way, they're going They're going to play hard, they're going to play fundamentally sound, and they're going to be extremely well coached in all areas of the game and very well prepared.
0: Iowa closes out its football season this Saturday in Kinnick Stadium, no bowl game, a five-game losing streak likely to go to six, and a program that appears to many to be in decline, certainly so over the past three years. The Nebraska Cornhuskers come to town on Black Friday with a five-game winning streak, a prolific offense, and a chance to lock in the Legends Division berth in the Big Ten title game where the winner will go to the Rose Bowl. This will be the second annual Heroes game with a Heroes trophy at stake, Nebraska's only loss in Big Ten play this year was to Ohio State, and it is currently the highest ranked conference team in each of the four national polls other than the Buckeyes. It is also senior day at Iowa, where several notable Hawkeyes will be putting on the black and gold for the last time. Those include James Vandenberg, James Ferentz, Micah Hyde, and Keenan Davis. The Hawkeyes are 4-7 and seven overall, 2-5 and five in the Big Ten. Nebraska is 9-2 and two overall with a 6-1 and one conference record. The Cornhuskers hold the edge in this series, 27-12-3. and three. They've won the last four games, including a 27 victory last year in Lincoln. Nebraska also holds an 8-6 advantage in games played at Kinnick Stadium. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz has been stuck on 100 wins for five games now. He's 173 at Iowa in his 14th season, and he's 112-94 overall as a head coach. Nebraska head coach Bo Pelini, who once served as a graduate assistant at Iowa under Hayden Fry is in his fifth season at Nebraska with a record of 48 and 18. This is the second ranked opponent Iowa will face this season. The first was last week against Michigan, and the Hawkeyes' job certainly gets no easier this Black Friday in Iowa City. To make matters worse, there will probably be a sea of red in Kinnick Stadium as nearly everyone expects an invasion from the West, coupled with most students being gone for the Thanksgiving break. The Hawkeyes are now facing a six game losing streak to end the season. As we said, they're not bowl eligible. Their offense remains inconsistent, and in the last five games, their defense has completely crumbled. This is, nevertheless, an important game in this series, and it's important that Iowa plays well, or any sense of a real rivalry will continue to elude these teams. Another blowout by Nebraska would also make it just that much more difficult for the Big Ten to pitch this to ABC or ESPN as a national telecast in the next few years. The task facing the Hawkeyes, is not only daunting, it looks nearly impossible, but as the old cliche goes, that's why you play the games.
1: I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal.
0: now for the second of our two weekly reporters notebook shows. This one was Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can follow Steve on Twitter at SBAT79. Steve looks ahead at the Nebraska game and more.
3: Steve, Nebraska comes into Kinnick Stadium for the first time since 1999. A win for them secures the Legends Division slot in the Big Ten title game. It's Iowa's second straight game against a ranked opponent, second annual Heroes game. Nebraska's only loss in conference play comes at Ohio State. They're on a five-game winning streak, and they have the most prolific offense overall in the conference.
4: Other than that, it's easy, right? <laughs> yeah, Nebraska is, you know, they're having a great season. And they're having a great season for a lot of reasons. And you know, one of which is just the fact that they've been probably the most resilient team in the Big Ten. I mean, this is a team that's that's been you know down by double-digit margins in four of its of its six conference wins to this point, and you know has found a way to win those games. And uh, a lot of that rides on on, uh, on Taylor Martinez, but it, it's been a collective effort, no question. Uh, this this is uh, probably the best team that Iowa has seen this season.
3: It's the 23rd consecutive year that the Cornhuskers play on Black Friday. Only to second for Iowa Kirk was asked about that this week what's your sense of how this shorter week plays to both Iowa probably not so much to Nebraska since they're used to it well
4: yeah I, th- I think it is something that that Nebraska uh, that both as a team and a, and, and a fan base have certainly gotten used to over time whether it be uh, you know back when they were wrapping up against Oklahoma in the Big eight or, or you know the 15 years that they played Colorado on on Black Friday uh, it, it is it is a little different uh, it is a, yeah, a shorter turnaround but it's a shorter turnaround for both both teams at a time of year where frankly you're not spending quite maybe as much time on the on the practice field in terms of heavy work than, than, than what you would earlier in the season so you know from that standpoint I, I think it's manageable um, I I don't mind the idea this will obviously be the first time it's happened to Kinnick and uh, it, it will be something different I know university officials had some questions about how things might work in terms of, of uh, you know just logistics and that type of thing with uh, with it being a Friday as opposed to to a Saturday and and, uh, those kinds of things. But uh, we'll see how it plays out. And, uh, and, you know, frankly, I I don't mind the game being on a Friday. I think it adds a little something extra to it, which, uh, uh, you know, in in certain years will uh, uh, provide a little added spark to to, uh, what should become a, a fairly solid rivalry over time.
3: Kind of some interesting uh, synchronicity here coming into this contest. Nebraska rolls into Iowa City on a five-game winning streak. Iowa's uh, here with a uh, five-game losing streak and in all likelihood going to go to six. The Hawkeyes are not bowl eligible. They're going to have their first losing season since 2000. Yet it's senior day, so you bring that aspect into this contest.
4: Yeah, uh, you know, Iowa looking to avoid its worst Big Ten finish since going two and six in, in, in 2006, which was also a bowl season. By the way, <laughs> for Iowa, but uh, uh, you know it, it's one of those things that uh, yeah, this, this is is a senior class that is is kind of strange in some ways. I mean, you know, there are 19 players in it. Uh, some of them have not exactly been household names throughout much of their career, but you, but you have in James Vandenberg, a, a quarterback who uh, who selected Iowa over an offer from Nebraska. Uh, you know, now at the, at the conclusion of his career, you've got Micah Hyde, who's had a, certainly a nice season on, on the defensive side of the ball, and you know and then you've got guys who are kind of really contributing for the first time in, in, in their playing career this season, and, and guys like Big Ack and, and, and Gaglio, and they had a little starting experience you know, a year ago, but uh, these are guys that have really stepped to the forefront this season, and it, it's uh, it's been a group that uh, has certainly been tested. Iowa has used, uh, putting together some numbers here today, uh, has used eight different offensive lineups this season. They've used six different defensive lineups this season, uh, in, in large part because of injuries and, and, and that type of thing, and uh, it really has impacted any any chance that this team has had for consistency. It's a team that has 18 first-time starters on it. Uh, that, that's uh, only only 10 teams that. that uh, at this level uh, in the country this year have started more than 18. And, and it, it, that's that's part of the growth process that Iowa's going through right now. And, it, and, you know, I think they've provided fairly, the senior group has provided some fairly decent leadership to those young guys and to those inexperienced guys, but, you know, I, which I'm sure has been somewhat of a challenge just from the standpoint that uh, some of those guys have to kind of look out for themselves, too, as they adjust to expanded roles.
3: What's the focus on Iowa's defense matched up against Nebraska's offense, doesn't bode well for a defense that's given up nearly 2,500 yards in its last five games, and they're facing the nemesis of Iowa's defensive scheme and other scrambling quarterback in Taylor Martinez.
4: Yeah, he certainly is having a heck of a year, and it, Kirk alluded to it a little bit on, on Tuesday as well in terms of the growth that he's seen from Martinez uh, from last year to this year, and you know, he, he's always been a threat to run with the feet, and and they certainly complement him well with, with, uh, with their running backs, but uh, uh, you know, you know, he's really become a, a quality passer this season and that that has just made this offense just take off and uh you know they they still lead to big 10 in rushing but uh, you know one of the reasons they're averaging 37 and a half points a game is, is the fact that they've been able to put the ball in the air and get it to kenny bell when they need to uh, to move it that way as well and it, it certainly has been a, a you know a, a pick your poison kind of situation much like last week at at, at michigan and you know i was inability to create a pass rush which which has been a season-long problem. Uh, hasn't gotten any better, probably isn't going to get any better this week, but uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be another day of, of, of chasing uh, you know chasing a quarterback and, and hoping that he's not making plays on the other side of the ball, because they certainly have been able to do that effectively.
3: Now Iowa's lack of pressure probably reached its penultimate last week at Michigan, where they had not one single tackle for loss. Martinez comes in here now, he's, he's had four 300-plus yard passing games. He's had three this season. It, remember watching him last year at Lincoln in the Iowa game? He didn't look like he could chuck the ball more in about 10 yards. And, and it looked almost like a wounded duck every time. Obviously, he's He's uh, much better at it this year. He's averaging over 211 passing yards a game.
4: Yeah, it, it certainly, obviously, was an off offseason point of emphasis for him and in and, and, and his development, and, and he's made the most of it. There's no question. He, you know, Nebraska leads the Big Ten in pass efficiency. I mean, and, and that's just something that uh, he's averaging, you know, around 64% completion rate at this point, and it, it, that's a, a real sign of, of, of progress by a young man who's, who's focused in on kind of a shortcoming in his game and, and, and uh, kind of a willingness to, to work to make it a strength, and it, it certainly has become that.
3: And Nebraska's first in rushing in the Big Ten, first in total offense, second in scoring. Talk a little bit about, you just mentioned him, their sophomore wide receiver, Kenny Bell. He had three 100-plus yards receiving games in 2012, and, and he leads the team in uh, touchdown receptions. Interestingly, eight passes covering 25 or more yards, yikes, compared to Michigan last week. Talk about Bell, and I think they also have have a pretty good sophomore wideout in Jamal Turner.
4: Yeah, they do. It, it, it's a, a nice combination and Bell is, you know, he, he's he's only 10th in the big ten in, in receptions per game but it, you can see that yards after catch uh, he's he's third in in receiving yards per game in the Big Ten and it, it's one of those things that uh, the kid has some speed and he knows how to use it and and, and you know create uh, create plays as much as we saw uh, you know Michigan's receivers do a week ago and it, it's got the potential to be another another nightmare for the Hawkeye secondary which uh, has, has been picked on quite a bit here the last few weeks and you know those two guys are, are you know uh... their quality quality receivers, and I mean, Bell's just a sophomore, so uh, people better get used to seeing him, because uh, he's going to be around for a couple of years.
3: Nebraska's sophomore IBAC, Amir Abdullah, has a season total of 1000 1,021 rushing yards, and Nebraska's been winning its last few games without the guy who really hurt Iowa last year in Lincoln, Rex Burkhead.
4: Yeah, he's had a knee sprain that he just hasn't been able to get over this season, and it happened in their season opener, he's tried to come back off of it a couple of Times did not play a week ago against Minnesota, but uh, supposedly has been cleared to go and is getting healthier by the day. Which I don't know if that's good news for Iowa or not. But uh, he, because he was really positioned to to be one of the dominant backs in this league this season, based on, on what he did a year ago, and and uh, uh, they they found another one as they seem to do over there. You know, in, in Abdullah, who you know he's averaging five, a little over five yards a carry, and and it's uh, he's he's a small. Back he's only five nine, but he, uh, uh, which uh, you know, both Pelini kids makes makes him a pretty elusive target, and and he is he is a guy that that is going to be hard for Iowa's Iowa's uh, defenders to bring down, just because there isn't much of him there to bring down. It's it's one of those situations. Uh, he certainly has the quickness, and and you combine his ability with with the seven hundred and twenty five yards that they've gotten out of out of uh, Martinez this year, ground, and it, it's it's a pretty effective one two punch. Not. Not unlike what we saw last week, at times, you know, with uh, with either Gardner or or Denard Robinson when he when he lined up in the shotgun at, at Michigan.
3: Who are your key matchups defensively for Iowa here in terms of who you would focus on trying to slow down that Nebraska attack?
4: Well, I you know I think it's going to have to be you know the linebacker positions, which you know Anthony Hitchens supposedly is going to return to the field this week after missing last week's game with an injury, and uh, James Moore supposedly is a little bit healthy. As well, and I, you know, I think linebacker play is going to be big in this game. You've got to be able to to deal with that run game, and and you know, if if they can find uh, you know a way to to limit uh, the big play potential of, of Nebraska, I think that helps Iowa for sure. And 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 that's it's it's, a, it's going to have to be a collective thing, I'm afraid. But uh, uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know, Michigan obviously burnt them with with uh, 11 plays of 15 yards or more, and, and that's something that just can't happen again if. Iowa's going to have any chance on Friday at all.
3: Flipping over here to talk about Iowa's offense versus Nebraska's defense. The Hawkeyes averaging 20.5 points a game. They're 105th out of 120 FBS teams, 97th in passing offense, 100th in rushing. That's pretty bad. Now they're going to go up against a Nebraska defense. That's ranked second in the Big Ten in pass defense, fourth in total defense, second in sacks, third in tackles for loss.
4: Yeah, other than that, it's it's <laughs> easy sledding. But the...
3: <laughs> and last week, Nebraska held Minnesota to only 177 yards in total offense, which was you know, the fewest in the season for them.
4: Uh, yeah, and you know and the thing of it is, is that they seem to get better as the game progresses. And uh, you know, uh, Nebraska has has been a little vulnerable early on against a lot of opponents this season, but. Uh, if you look at what they've done in the in the fourth quarter against teams, it's it's uh, the numbers really are pretty eye popping, and it, it has been a uh, you know one of those types of things that uh, uh, you know the Iowa offense certainly has its work cut out for them, and uh, you know I think I think it benefited last week uh, at least initially from the return of Mark Wiseman. Thought Iowa's offensive line probably gave him a little more room to work, and Wiseman certainly showed why he has been a valuable part of the offense when he's been healthy this season. And, you know, he was able to pick up a few of those extra, you know, initial yards after contact early on. Uh, It didn't total a ton over the course of the game as Michigan adjusted and kind of wore Iowa down and then wore him down a little bit too. But, uh, um, you know, he certainly does seem to provide a spark offensively. And I think that Iowa has to get something going on the ground if they're going to have any chance to make their their passing game work. And, uh, you know, we saw the emergence last week a little bit of C.J. Fedorowicz and, and, uh, you know, using the tight end A little more in the vertical seam, and and it certainly worked for a while. And then again, Michigan adjusted and took that away. And, and, uh, you know, Iowa was back to trying to to send the ball in whatever direction it could, and that turned into a struggle. But uh, you you look at, you know, you look at at Vandenberg heading into his final college game, and this is another opponent that will challenge Iowa on both the front and the back end of the defense. And it certainly is uh, going to have to, uh, you know, kind of rise to that occasion and, and make some plays that they haven't made in previous games and and you know whether or not they're capable of that i think we probably have to lean towards the negative on that right now just because they haven't done it but uh you know guys like keenan davison is in his final college game uh guys like kevante martin manley who has shown some some ability are going to have to create that separation that hasn't been there all season and and it's going to be it's going to make it an awful tough thing for an offense that uh, you know frankly iowa hasn't scored more than 13 points the last six times it's taken the field against nebraska they've won one of those games i said uh, They've lost the other five and uh, over time, and, and this is not a, an offense that uh, has any margin for error, certainly.
3: Under Ference, Iowa's offensive goals have always been to balance passing and running. And last week, I think part of the frustration with watching this offense and its lack of development, really, through this season under offensive coordinator Greg Davis, it's like sometimes they can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Last week, 11 games in, as you mentioned, they discovered the tight ends, but then the wide receivers disappeared. So it seems to me you not only need balance between the pass and run, you have to have a much better balance in where you're spreading the passing attack around.
4: Absolutely. Uh, You know, and some of that is simply that Michigan gave them the opportunity to to have the tight ends open a little bit, and and Vandenberg, as he has uh, throughout his his tenure at Iowa, you know, is going to take what the defense gives, and Michigan was giving the tight end, and uh, because of that, that's where the ball was going, Uh, at least Early on, once they closed that down, then he had to look around the field a little more, and, and eventually, you know, it was it was late in the fourth quarter, but the ball finally found its way into into the receivers' hands. But uh, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that you're right. I mean, they, there needs to be a little more diversity in terms of of where the ball is going at a given point in time during the course of the game, and a lot of that starts with being able to get something on the ground, and uh, you know, if you can do that and force them to play straight up defensively and the rest of the offense becomes a little more easy to to execute and this has been a it's been a season long problem probably won't go away Friday, but it's, uh, you know, that, that collective uh, cohesion just hasn't been there from start to finish.
3: Two of Nebraska's key defensive players are senior linebacker Will Compton, and, and they have a pretty good safety in Damian Stafford. Talk about those guys and the other Nebraska defenders that will be key for Nebraska.
4: You know, the, those two guys are probably the guys that really kind of pop off page when you, when you take a look at them, and, I, you know, I, I think it's uh, fairly, this is a, a Nebraska defense that has had some changes. Uh, they've had some instability up front. Uh, former Iowa assistant Rick Kaczynski is, uh, you know, in his first year as a defensive line coach there, and there was a little turmoil there during the initial weeks of the season as, as teams piled up a ton of yards uh, against Nebraska. And it, it's been it's been a growth process for this bunch over the course of the season. And, you know, in, in, in Stafford you've got a, a senior, a veteran guy, as you do in Compton at the Mike Linebacker. And, you know, you've got a couple guys that, uh, uh, you know, are really uh, – Solid at their positions, but the the front has been a little suspect at times. Although it's played much better down the stretch here, and and uh, that is one of the reasons that, that Nebraska has been in a position to uh, you know to to play for a spot Indy this week. And uh, you know you've got guys uh, you know Sean Fisher, the brother of of, of Cole Fisher, Iowa, of, uh, you know redshirt freshman is uh, you know the starting buck uh, linebacker. And I mean it's one of those things that uh, uh, you know he's solid. They've got uh, an Alonzo way Really, a senior that has some experience. It, it's kind of a veteran group in some ways, but uh, you know the consistency for them hasn't necessarily been there either. And I think it's probably been one of the more frustrating ends of things for on the Nebraska end of, of the deal. But uh, you know, this is a is a group that uh, you know right now. Eric Martin, Baker, Stein, Cooler are, are, are seniors uh, on the defensive front, along with uh, you know Cameron Meredith, who are uh, you know guys who've been in that program for a significant period of time and and, and are you know are they're playing that way. They're playing their best college football at the end of their senior seasons and uh, which is you know what any defensive coordinator would hope.
3: Iowa's only positive stat really this season is its turnover margin at plus twelve it leads the Big Ten tied for fourth nationally in terms of fewest turnovers lost. They've recovered the most fumbles by an Iowa team since two thousand and four. This is one and maybe the only stat that seems to skew in Iowa's favor in this game because Nebraska is eleventh in the Big Ten in turnover margin and they're at a minus 0.7 per game
4: they've been a little sloppy with the ball and that's where they've gotten themselves into some trouble you know during the course of the season that's how they fell behind uh, you know teams like Wisconsin and and Michigan State and northwestern and, and certainly in the Ohio State game and you know yeah it, it's a it's an interesting stat and it's a stat that usually Iowa has been able to turn into points and Iowa's I inability to turn those turnovers into points this season has, has been one of the more difficult things this team is has, has has dealt with, and it certainly is is one thing that Iowa should be able to to make some hay off of. But a lot of it, uh, uh, you know, a lot of it's timing and uh, they, they, those turnovers. I mean, Kirksey's return at, at, at Indiana for a touchdown uh, off of off of a pick, uh, you know, s- certainly helped Iowa uh, overcome its its own offensive deficiencies, but this this may be another one of those weeks where the defense is going to have to put some points on the board.
3: I wasn't even going to ask you for a prediction in this game, but what the heck, I know what everyone expects the answer to be. And I was stunned when I read earlier that even Bob Brooks, apparently for the first time ever, is picking Iowa's opponent in a game. I assume you're joining in that consensus?
4: Oh, sure. Why not? (laughs) You (laughs) know...
3: <laughs>
4: yeah you know i I think if you look at it realistically you have to kind of look at where these two teams and what direction they're headed at this point in the season and, and it's certainly uh you know Nebraska has an awful lot to play for friday and and they're going to be playing in in front of an awful lot of fans uh, wearing red I have a feeling as well but uh, you know I, I think it's the type of game that uh, much uh, probably somewhere in the ballpark of a of a 28 to 17 kind of game maybe a little little tighter than people anticipate. I think the Hawks will hang with them for a little while, but you know it's all going to come down to Iowa's ability to deny Nebraska big plays. If they can do that, they can hang around. If what happened last week at Michigan happens again, it's going to be another long day for Iowa fans.
0: More from Steve Batterson after this break.
2: How many things have you touched today?
0: Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! <laughs>
2: How many places have your hands been? keyboard 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense pre a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day stays on up to 10 washings moisturizes alcohol-free and safe for the
0: kids so go ahead touch anything and everything
2: yeah with toilet
0: pre keep your hands germ-free all day <laughs> All of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times, and listen to Brent Balbonat on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbonat and Bramel Camp Show, weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com.
4: And I love Iowa City. I love you, Hawkeye's Mike. (music)
0: Back to our conversation with Steve Batterson. Steve discusses playing veterans versus younger players in the closer, Iowa's recent decline, and Big Ten expansion. A little bit of a debate controversy in the media and certainly among the fans this past week is this
3: issue of the season's over. There's nothing really to play for this year other than your own pride and so forth. So why not get a glimpse of the future and let some of the underclassmen get some playing time and experience that they haven't had all year long? Kirk's answer to that at the press conference on Tuesday was a firm no. What's your sense of that discussion?
4: Well, yeah, I appreciate where he's coming from on that. Uh, You know, his objective has been uh, uh, simply to, you know, make make certain that the best players at a given position are on the field at a a given point in time. Players that give with the best chance to, to win on a given Saturday, or in this case, Friday. You know, it's not necessarily a reward. Uh, it is it it is something that those guys have earned with their work on, on the practice field, certainly, and, and their performance in games, whether it be consistent or not. Now, there are other guys in the program who certainly are working hard and, and trying to pursue position themselves for those opportunities too and you know you, you can, we can go right to the quarterback spot where you know Vandenberg has taken every single snap this season I mean that's one of those little stats that just doesn't go away and and you know people continue to wonder why we haven't seen anything of Jake Rudock, who, who really is the only backup that is in a position right now to play for Iowa just from the standpoint that they you know they want to preserve the redshirt years at this point for Cody Sokol and, and for C.J. Bethard the, the true freshman and there's some sense to that, um, I, I really think that there probably has only been one or two opportunities because of the closeness of the games that Iowa's been in to to put a, a Rudock on the field. Penn State, obviously, the most likely scenario there, and, and certainly, you know, I would say argue in the in the fourth quarter of Michigan last week would have been another chance, but for some mop up time. But you know, what uh, at the end of the day, I guess the feeling is uh, Kirk's. You know, side of it is is, you know, what good does that do? It does provide some playing time and some experience in, in this situation. I think uh, you know, unless Vandenberg should happen to have to come off the field on on Friday, we're not going to see Rudock. Uh, what that will do is it will send all three of those guys into spring ball on a, on an even even keel on an even playing field and and let them kind of duke it out then for for you know the depth chart positions that'll be available. And uh, you know, I think it's kept guys hungry. You know, there are a lot of freshmen who on the field uh, for Iowa during games right now too and and, and sophomores and redshirt freshmen and then you know there are some younger kids getting getting experience but yeah it, it is kind of flustering and, and sometimes somewhat frustrating, I think, not to uh, to see. But, you know, we've seen guys like Sean Draper and, and you know, the other redshirt freshmen who, who, who've kind of you know worked their way into things, uh, uh, whether, you know, it be a Cole Fisher or, or, you know, Travis Perry. I mean, those guys have gotten some time in, in recent weeks, and in part because of injuries to guys ahead of them. And, and that just typically is how it has worked under Kirk, and I, I just don't see that changing. And he, he's not going to throw guys out there just to throw of them out there now this is the last game obviously they're uh, you know and I I think he has a sense of loyalty to his seniors and I, I think that's one of the reasons that we are going to see pretty much the uh, the usual suspects out there on Friday and you know it, it will be uh, you know I think the game will kind of dictate whether whether he goes any deeper into that depth chart and uh, I would say the chances are it's not going to happen he's going to give those guys a chance to to play and then finish the game on on their terms I guess you could say
3: another point of discussion this week has been, other than the fact Iowa and Nebraska are border states, obviously, is this really a rivalry game?
4: You know, a rivalry has to kind of work both ways, and, and Iowa hasn't necessarily been all that competitive with Nebraska uh, in, in recent history. You know, it will take some of that. I, you know, I think it's a game that over time is going to mean quite a bit to people in in both states. Uh, you know, particularly in the western half of Iowa, whether whether you know Nebraska, there is a Nebraska. Influence out there, and and uh, you know, much like uh, you know, sitting here in the Quad Cities where I'm at, you know, there is a feel for the Iowa Illinois rivalry that probably doesn't exist in Mason City or Sioux City. You know, where maybe in Mason City, you know, they look forward to that battle for Floyd every year. And uh, these things take time to develop, but I uh, I'll guarantee you, it's been an interesting week in a lot of offices in Omaha this week, where guys have probably been bantering back and forth a little bit and having some fun with it, and probably a little quieter this year than. than Last when when you know both teams were positioned for for bowls and and, and that type of thing but uh, uh, over time I, th- I think this has the makings of being a, a very good uh, rivalry and certainly something that fans are going to look forward to on an annual basis.
3: Stepping back a bit, I talked to Marv Cook in his show this week about this next point. And I just thought I'd throw it out to get your reaction. The conventional wisdom is that Kirk's teams have always gotten better in November and as the season has gone along. And that was generally true prior to the 2010 season. But since he signed his 10-year contract extension, I don't know if you've seen these numbers, his overall record, 2010, 2011, and 2012, obviously not including the Nebraska result yet. His overall record's eight and 17. More problematical, however, is it's only 10 and 13 in the Big Ten. His record in those three years in the last five games of the season is only four and 10.
4: I did see those numbers earlier this week, and it is it is what it is. It's the reality of things. And you know, uh, uh, traditionally, his first teams at Iowa fared very well in. In November uh, and the argument at that time was why are, you know why are the Hawkeyes struggling so much in September and uh, when they would traditionally have one or two losses before they would get to really the meat of their big Ten schedule and you know, those things have kind of flipped and uh, you know I think I don't think they're doing anything differently to prepare for games in November I think they've they've had uh, you know some issues in terms of winning certainly down the stretch and you know those things all get magnified uh, certainly uh, but it, it's one of of those things it's kind of a kind of a numbers fluke and some of it has to do with who they've played and where they've played opponents but uh, yeah Iowa has not finished uh, with the kind of momentum that you that you would like to see from a from a program in several years and uh, you know Nebraska right now is a prime example of a team that does have that momentum on their side right now and and, you know they have finished strong in November the past three seasons under Pellini and you know it's one of those things that uh, you know over time uh, those things tend to even out I think Think. And, and I think that uh, the numbers uh, the numbers simply in, the, in November, Iowa, you know, hasn't won games. I mean, it, some of it has been dictated by opponents. Some of it has been dictated by injuries that have, have impacted, uh, you know, the health of, the, of a team in certain situations. Some of it just comes down to a lack of execution down the stretch where guys maybe get to a point where they, they're they competing at the level that they can compete at. And it gets back to, to recruiting and, and talent level and that type of thing. And, you know, with a lack of depth, which we've seen, at several positions this season uh, the lack of consistency has followed with when the, when the backups take the field and it's uh, that's created issues no question and, and it, this isn't the first time that's happened
3: It looks like barring a real fluke, Nebraska will be facing Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game so let's turn to some Big Ten talk just briefly to wrap up here. The biggest news out of the conference this week obviously has been expansion, the addition of Maryland and Rutgers and reports that Delaney's is looking to add two more teams, whoever That might be. Just what are your thoughts on that, and the implications for realignment of the divisions?
4: Yeah, an an interesting week. I I thought Commissioner Delaney's uh, terminology when he when he was talking about how the presidents were giddy over the addition of Maryland and Rutgers kind of spoke to the uh, the tenor of of the additions. And and, uh, you know, when when the Big Ten added Penn State and added Nebraska, you know, it was adding two top five type football programs, uh, institutions that were known for their their success on the gridiron. It certainly isn't the case with either of these two institutions, but they are the type of academic institutions that would make a university president giddy to have uh, as part of your family. And uh, so this was kind of a victory, I think, for the, for academia as much as anything in, in terms of, of the addition to the league. It, uh, and it certainly adds to uh, you know the population-rich and uh, TV-rich Eastern Seaboard and it brings that to uh, to the to the conference. Uh, it's a type of thing that uh, the Big Ten commissioner Jim Delaney is looking around at, at potential uh, future acquisitions, if you will, for lack of a better term. And you know the growth area for for this conference has to be to the east, where where the population has been fairly stable and 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 or increasing, and where you know the talent level and and numbers of, of players that uh, you can recruit out of high schools is good and solid and many big 10 schools already recruit those those high schools anyway but uh, and there's a ton of big 10 alums in, in those uh, in those areas but uh, you know obviously the big fish is 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 the the potential revenue from the added tv markets of, of new york city slash new jersey and, and dc and baltimore and you know that that's going to line the pockets of, of every big 10 school over time and and, and it's uh from a football standpoint it, it, they're interesting acquisitions uh maryland has is uh, you know, has struggled in recent years, and and you know Randy Edsel, the the guy who built the Connecticut program, is uh, has been put in charge of rebuilding the the Maryland program, and you know he's got a proven track record at Connecticut of being able to make that happen. But uh, you know they have a long ways to go. Rutgers, uh, Kurt Flood is in his first season there, and and you know they certainly have uh, you know have had some success this year under him as they had under under Greg Schiano previously. But it's it's you know there are two additions that that are Probably a little more based in in other areas than football, and uh, it will lead to to some shuffling of divisions. Delaney denied that the decision has been reached to place those two teams in, in the leaders and and move Illinois to the Legends division. He said those conversations haven't taken place yet. That that would be a move that could make sense. He he did say that geography probably needs to be a little more of a factor in this alignment, uh, just from the standpoint that the conference now stretches from from the you know the eastern border of Colorado. To, to the seaboard out east and you know and I, I think you create a couple of natural rivals for Penn State as well and, and that, that's not a bad thing either I think you know uh, w- we've been a little spoiled out in, in this part of the country with with uh, you know whether it be Wisconsin or Minnesota or, or you know Illinois or, or you know now, now Nebraska uh, Iowa has, has had a number of border rivals and uh, you know that's one of the things that Penn State has not had in, in the two decades it's been a part of this conference other than other than its matchup with Ohio State. And now that, now they can add to that collection as well. It, it adds to, uh, to the season. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, it's something that it sounds like the ADs are going to discuss shortly after the bowl season ends. And, and you know, I, I think they're going to have to take a look at, at, at kind of where things are at uh, right now. Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll kind of take a look at the big picture in terms of, of where things traditionally have been. as a, and, and the idea will be to maintain some sort of competitive balance. But uh, I think there probably will be some tweaking that takes place here
3: and yeah, my two cents worth is they need to swap Michigan State and Wisconsin and if they had the real courage they would put Michigan in the leaders division too but I don't think that's going to happen in any event
4: I agree with you there I, I just don't see them putting Michigan and Ohio State in the same division I, I, I as much as it would make sense it probably makes too much sense for it to become reality and <laughs> and uh, you know I, I and I, I think that it's it's one of those things that uh, what the, what they tried to Avoid when they initially did this was what happened in the Big 12, where the South was so top-heavy that uh, it, 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 in some ways, probably facilitated you know the the demise of, of that conference. Uh, you know, and and I think it it really uh, you know it, it behooves them to, to be careful as as they try to balance this thing. But I I do think there probably needs to be a little more flexibility. And and as you alluded to, I'm not sure he's done shopping for teams yet. Uh, the, this thing may grow by a couple more, you know, within the next year or two, and uh, that may lead to another another shuffling down the road, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I it would certainly be good to see Iowa and Wisconsin in the same division, and, and, and in the part of the state where I'm sitting right now, I know there's a lot of people that would like to see Iowa and Illinois meet on an annual basis, too.
3: Well, as Big Ten athletic directors and presidents sit down for their Thanksgiving dinner this week, they have one more thing to give Thanksgiving for, and that's the estimated added 10 million dollars per each team in the big ten that they'll get as a result of the enhanced TV contracts out of this expansion
4: yeah happy holidays huh that's uh <laughs> you know that, that's where the real money is at and that, that and let's face it that's why this is happening all over the country and and, and that's why you know t- teams are conferences are reaching out to non-traditional areas to expand their their reach and uh, you know if you can get a little chunk of that New York TV market in Delaney He said he's not foolish enough to believe that that adding Rutgers is going to make Big Ten football a dominant force in in New York City, but he does believe that it can help increase their share of the pie there, and that's what it comes down to is, you know, can they find their way onto, uh, uh, you know, onto mainstream cable there as opposed to being on a sports tier uh, where you can, you know, you can request a a few extra, you know, a little extra change from the fans per month, and it all piles up pretty quickly quickly, and that's that's where those dollars will come from, and it's certainly, uh, you know, it's an interesting challenge, and, and uh, because you're dealing with markets that have primarily been perceived as pro sports markets over time, and you know, the Big Ten has faced a little of that in, within its own territory. I mean, certainly in the Twin Cities with Minnesota, in Cleveland with uh, with Ohio State being down the road a little bit, you fight some of that stuff. Uh, you know, is Chicago a Bears town or an Illini town, or, or is Northwestern truly Chicago? Chicago's Big Ten team, it's probably more of a melting pot than anything else. Those are the kinds of challenges that, that, you know, they feel like they're in a position to be a little wiser than maybe they were 20 years ago when they simply added a team in in Penn State. They feel like they they have a little better plan in place to to market to those areas and and increase uh, uh, visibility of college athletics. Uh, Delaney alluded to you uh, on on Tuesday that, uh, that he's not certain that college athletics have ever been marketed well in In New York City, um, and one of the reasons that uh, there does seem to be such a divided market there may be the fact that uh, it's been more of a school by school kind of effort as opposed to a, a concentrated branding uh, pursuit by a, by a particular conference or something like that. and uh, th- those are the things they're looking at and, and uh, it, it certainly it, there's a money trail and, and that's, uh, that's where it all starts.
0: What exactly did you have in mind, Mr. Carlson? <laughs> what do you suppose he's up to? And I think I hear something now a Something just came out of the box. Perhaps a skydiver No parachutes yet Oh my god, they're turkeys Turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement Thanks for that on the spot report, boss I thought it would work It's pretty strange after that I really don't know how to describe it As God is my witness
4: I thought turkeys could fly
1: Takes a knee, and that's it. Michigan, congratulations to Denard Robinson. Devin Gardner, Brady Hoke, and the Wolverines who have proved to eight and three, six and one in the Big Ten. Iowa will not go to a bowl game. They've been bowl eligible for the last 11 years. They're going to have a losing record. Michigan wins it 42-17. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmic.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS.
0: Hawkeyes Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week and thanks to Steve Batterson, not only this week, but for his season-long contributions. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices.
2: Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it.
0: This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.